Welcome to episode three of the Quintessential Podcast. We welcome in play-by-play announcer Joe Beninati as all eyes turn to the Big Ten Network at three o'clock this week. Maryland faces Virginia. It's a one-two battle at Audi Field. Both teams are undefeated. Joe, uh, before we talk about that game uh, and lacrosse in particular, uh, good to hear your voice. Good to see you. What's going on in the uh, in the NHL with the Caps? Things are busy, quintessential. Things are very, very busy now. I was talking to your producer. Five games in six days for me in the next back-to-back weeks. It sounds like a Quint Kesnick schedule all of a sudden. So the Caps season was slowed a bit, as was the NHL, by a lot of COVID postponements and rescheduling. Uh, what's happened is the NHL schedules become backloaded in, in March and April to the point where some teams, the New York Islanders, are playing 17 games in the month of March alone. It's insane how stacked these games are now to get the regular season in in a normal way where you can begin the Stanley Cup playoffs. So for me, specifically with Washington, busy, busy, 16 times for us this month. Uh, finally back on the road, which is a good thing in the United States. So there'll be some travel mixed in. That game we're talking about, the big Maryland-Virginia lacrosse game, is right on the heels of a Caps in Raleigh against the Hurricanes. Huge game in the NHL's Metro Division. So, like I said, I'll be busy. There won't be a lot of sleep, but it's my favorite time of year. So, I'm guessing at this stage, your, your preparation for the Caps is relatively, uh, I want to say easy, but you, you, you've you built and you've seen most of these teams. So, what, do you just have to go to practice, talk to coaches, talk to, talk to players? That's what's happening for the most part, although – the interaction that we've been getting this season, Q, it's not what it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, still media is not allowed into the into the team's dressing room at the practice facility or at the game facility. So what you're getting now mostly is podium. And it's it's a group media session. There's no more, hey, I can, you know, saddle up to Quint Kesnick and talk to him at his locker stall and get his breakdown on what the shooters are going to look like today. They really that hasn't happened for for almost two seasons now, almost two years. Um, but from a prep standpoint, I'm in a good place there. It, every time there's a new game, there are new numbers to digest, and I don't want to kill people with statistics. I want to be more story driven and and playing off of the analyst Craig Lachlan. But you do have to do your homework numbers wise, and we do that. I want to say the Caps recently played Toronto. That was the last of the 31 opponents that I had to get ready for. So when it comes to watching tape or, or seeing film, for the most part, I'm focusing on the opponent just so that I can get player recognition, names and numbers, and who shoots right-handed, who shoots left-handed, committed to memory. When it, As far as film study for me as a play-by-play person, I'm watching the opponents now. I, I've got the caps committed to memory a long time ago. I'm not sure all the fans know, but Joe, Joe and I worked together covering Major League Lacrosse from what 2001 or two to yeah. 12 or 13 years, I think. Absolutely. Uh, and and my biggest uh, uh, transition or improvement as an announcer came by working through Joe and, and watching you prep uh, the professional approach. You know, it's not just showing up with a roster. Uh, you know, you talk to coaches. Yeah, we talk to coaches. Uh, <laughs> Joe, you'll find it interesting last week at the uh, National NILCA Hall of Fame banquet for, for high school coaches, the head coach of Denver East was inducted into nice. the Hall of Fame. And you and should you always back- head for Denver East by going west. That's right. People usually go west to get to Denver East. 
So like we, we get to town on these Friday nights before Saturday games. And there's a lot to do in a place like Denver or Boston, New mm-hmm. York. Uh, and, and at that time I was a little more interested maybe in, in going out to a great dinner. And Joe was like, no, we got to go to practice. <laughs> and uh, I, I realized the value of, of, of doing the work and, and then finding fun in that. And now I love it. I mean, there's, there's nothing that gets me more excited than waking up knowing that I got to watch film and, and yeah. do research on teams. It's like, this is what I wanted from, from the beginning. It's also naturally built into your personality. I'm not blowing uh, sunshine up your skirt when I'm telling you that you're really good in those settings. You're good with the coaches. You're great when you're talking with the kids. And it's obvious that you get a lot of information uh, from those meetings. And it's good that you learned it at a time when your career was taking off in that sense, so that you understood that it's not just showing up, snapping your fingers and saying, hey, let's go. Uh, there's a lot of background information that's involved. There's a, from from your angle, uh, there's a lot of storytelling that's involved. And and over time and with repetitions, you learn when you can get it in, when you can't. If your play-by-play guy is putting you in a position to shine like that, great. If he's not, if it's a three-man booth, it's a different dynamic. All of these things you've learned over time, but from a from a foundational standpoint, doing the homework's imperative, whether it be ripping through a, a bunch of bios on players or in, I think from a color analyst perspective, even more importantly, getting to know that person, his or her coach, getting to know his or her family, all of a sudden you drop in those tidbits and now you've made sports a human interest kind of shine. And and for us as broadcasters, I think we're always looking to do that. How do you pick your outfits, Joe? You, 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 uh, how many do you have? What are the, what are the permutations and combinations available? How, how do you pick what you're going to wear on Saturday afternoon? You see, there's there's a passion for clothing that was um, uh, developed a long, long time ago. So not only is this my uniform, per se, for job work, uh, but it's a vice. It's a passion for me. I've always loved beautiful clothing. And when I can afford it, when I do it the right way, sometimes I go overboard for sure. But I just I genuinely love it. But uh, as far as picking clothing, I, I try to make sure that I'm doing that. I'm not doing that five minutes before I'm trying to catch a plane. It's interesting. We've got, I just told you, we've got five games in six days coming up. So tonight, uh, we're, we're, as we're taping, as we're talking, I have this evening all set. I've had this evening all set for at least three days. I have the Virginia, Maryland outfit. That's already been picked out. Now I'm working literally just before I jumped on with you on the two-game road swing through Columbus and, um, and Raleigh. And then the Caps play again on Sunday. So I have a, another one for, for Sunday afternoon. Fortunately for me, I have an obscene amount of clothing and, and for the most part, purchases that I've made over the last 15 years still fit. Some of them don't. And I get really angry and I start throwing things and get mad at myself for having uh, that extra piece of pizza. But for the most part, things still fit and they're still in the rotation. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I pay a stupid amount of attention to, to putting that uniform together. I make sure I'm not doing it willy nilly two minutes before air. Is your uh, your suit collection? Is it in the triple digits? Uh, well, total big pieces. Yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely, triple digits. So we're not talking ten options, twenty options. We're talking no. more than a hundred options. Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's over time, put, my friend. What, what, what do you get? Separate rooms for that stuff? You got um, expanded closets? Listen to me. I need a home your size just for my wardrobe, and I don't have it. I'm embarrassed. If you saw the amount of dress shirts. The amount of dress shirts that I have is dopey and it takes up at least three rooms closets. 
that and neckwear. I have a few ties. I do have a lot of shoes. I can say that. I just told you clothing is a vice for me. In our uh, fun travel times together, uh, I, I know you like to cook. This time of year, you probably don't get to cook very, very much. Uh, and, and uh, you know, when I'm putting you on the couch on a trip to Vail, you didn't get to, you didn't get to cook on that trip either. No, not exactly. <laughs> Uh, and anything in terms of wine selection or, or food that stands out in the last well, month? Let, let's put it this way. You do know that I love to cook. The best thing that I've made in the last couple of weeks was a shrimp risotto. And there's a there's a friend of mine who uh, is in the clothing business. And she comes, from, uh, comes to us from uh, Torino, Italy. And I mentioned to her the best risotto that I ever had in my life was during the 2006 Olympics that I covered in Torino. And I always tell her, I can't seem to get that wave of broth finish to risotto. I, I like my risotto. I think it turns out well, but at home, quote unquote, in Italy, she says, yeah, they use a little bit more of this and a little bit more stock and a little bit more butter and a little bit more cream. And I'm like, okay, that's why you're creating this beautiful, lovely wave. She had me make this shrimp risotto about a month ago and it turned out really, really nicely. I'm, I'm happy with the way it turned out. Now I have an idea, better inkling as to what creates that, what uh, in, in, in Italian they call a wave, la onda, la onda. I, I can get that every once in a while. That's the last um, nice meal that I prepared for, for others. Uh, when it comes to wine, that's another vice of mine. Uh, the best bottle I've had recently was a 2002 Colgan Syrah. Quint, it was off the charts good. And I was really happy because I stole it from somebody at an auction. I had nice. I I was able to buy it at a at probably um you'll love this 60% off. 60%'s a big number. Down the hatch, off. Joe. Down yes. the hatch. Down the hatch. Oh no, you down the hatch this wine, I'll punch you in the face. No, even if you talking, are the body. We're not talking down the hatch with uh, <laughs> Jake Steinfeld and David Morrow. Uh I do want to talk about your origins in the game of lacrosse, you know. Uh, yeah. You're known as a hockey announcer, but you're 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 a lacrosse goalie at St. Anthony's and, and then Bowden. Tell us how that all came to be. It came to be because the high school baseball coach at St. Anthony's was blind. Blind, Quint. Couldn't hit a curveball? Uh, no. My freshman year, I was determined and I was convinced that I was going to be the starting shortstop for the high school baseball team. I knew from um, from a glove standpoint, from a fielding and throwing standpoint, that I could do that. I wasn't sure if I could hit well enough to make that team. And I'm not telling you a, a tale here. This is, not a, this is not a big fish story. That week of the tryout, I actually hit the ball pretty well for a little squirt. And I thought, I, this, I'm golden. This is fantastic. I'm going to be the starting shortstop in baseball for the high school team as a freshman. Bam, cuts me. I'm like, excuse me? I'm cut. Yeah, leave. I'm walking off. And I pass by the high school lacrosse coach and he sees me and he goes, Hey, aren't you that little freshman hockey goalie? I'm like, yeah, that's me. He goes, did you ever play lacrosse? I said, no. And he hands me this butterfly net and I stand like a hockey goalie with it. He goes, no, 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 no. We stand up. We stand up. The net's six foot tall. Come out to practice. Fell in love with it, Quint. I fell in love with it. And that's where my lacrosse origins begin by being cut from the baseball team. What was, experience? What was your experience? Yeah, it sounds like baseball baseball co coaches back then were letting kids go, and the, and the lacrosse coaches. So there's job to stalk the tryouts and just uh -huh. pull athletes. Yeah, they you know? did. They found me somehow.
what was most memorable or influential about your uh, your Bowden, your polar bear experience? My freshman year, I, I played on the varsity team all four years at Bowden, Division Three school, Neskak in in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, oh gosh, Quint, I remember the weather being so cold. You know very very well how painful a lacrosse ball is when it hits a goalie. We're happy when that happens, but you're sad when it happens in Maine and the temperature is 22 degrees in April. Um, we didn't get very many brilliant, sunny, 70-degree days up there. And the preseason, the January, February practices, God, so cold. Indoors in a dungeonous kind of indoor facility, nothing like the, the players can perform in today. I remember, oh, I remember the bruises more than anything. But my freshman year, I played behind um, Danny Cisneros. And Danny was a D3 All-American goalie at Bowdoin. He was so, so good. I, I couldn't touch him. I couldn't see the field. I didn't play until my sophomore year. I got a couple games in. My junior year, I got a couple games in. Uh, Cisneros had already graduated by then. And then it was a sort of a battle in my junior year. I didn't get the job. My senior year, I did. Uh, I was a starter there. And I had a good, I had a good season. I, I we faced a ton of shots. I set a record for saves in a season. I always kiddingly say it's because I had no rebound control. I kept making the original save and saying, here, shoot it again to everybody, which would drive your coach or your defensive coordinator crazy. But my senior year was a good one. Um, I remember having an out-of-body experience in the Bowdoin-Middlebury rivalry game that we lost, I believe, 13-11. to 11, But I made 32 saves in that game. 32. 32. And a lot of them quit were like, I would say maybe six or seven of them were point blank top of the crease stuff saves for, for a munchkin like me. That's usually a good thing because everybody was trying to go high on me. And I would, I would make some pretty elaborate looking stuff saves back then. But I, I was so literally out of my mind in that game, trying to win that, win that lacrosse game. Uh, I, it's something I'll never forget. The memory starts to fade because that's 1987, but that was a blast. I, I loved it. And I love the sport. I fell in love with the sport in high school and then to, to actually get to commentate it. I believe you and I started together, maybe 1999, uh, doing some college work together. And then obviously major league lacrosse comes in and we start doing a bunch of things together, but I, I fell in love with that sport and I, I always will love it. You know, one game uh, that stands out, we talk about Virginia. You were down on the field. You were our, our uh, analyst reporter back in 2003 for the national championship game, correct? M&T Bank Stadium. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it had rained heavily. I'm in the mud there. Back, back, back when the stadium had grass, if you yeah. want to call it that, and there was like this orange kitty litter all over the field. Oh, my God. You do remember that, huh? All I remember is ruining a great pair of shoes that day. Quick. <laughs> It was ankle high mud. It was ankle high mud. And there I am again, like we're talking about, like I wasn't dressed for the sidelines. I'm dressed for the boardroom. And I, and oh, what I did to my dress pants and my shirt and my shoes that day, just disgusting. But those were fun times. And, and it, for me, a little different coming at it from a sideline perspective, which I know something is something that you uh, love to do with respect to football and such. Um, that was cool. It's different for me to get different learning. It was, it was different at the time for me to get different uh, experiences outside of the play-by-play -play booth. So the opportunity to be involved with a national championship game um, was fantastic. 
and to work a huddle and try and figure out, okay, what it is that I can say and what I can't report um, was all a great experience and, and a good learning process. Yeah, that was the Tillman Johnson game. Uh, shooters were, were shooters really struggled to gain traction, and, and Tillman went off in that game. A performance uh, may, that still stands up probably is the best performance. Seeing, you know, he and Brian Doherty, two guys that stand out in my eyes in terms of putting on those type of performances on the big stage. As goalie lovers, uh, I do remember that. I remember Tillman uh, performing so beautifully in Cavaliers colors, and then going on into the pro ranks. And I want to say it was with the was it with the Riptide. Was he Riptide Way? He might have been early, or yeah. was it Rochester? Rochester or LA or both? Um, I, I, he was fabulous, and Doc, Doc always blew me away by uh, his skill. I, I think you guys refer to it as baiting. The way Doc would bait shooters, show you holes in the net, and say, "Here, go ahead, shoot it," and then literally, as you're pulling the trigger, he's shuffling over to take that spot away. I, I couldn't dream of doing that as a player. Um, he he did it extraordinarily well he had good size he was a big man naturally and he was able to take angles away but as the game and the position and the, the way you played it was changing I think he may have been at the forefront of that shallow arc playing on the goal line heels on the line and giving you here go ahead go ahead shoot to my strong side top corner it's all open for you, you it'll be there all day go ahead and then boom he'd snap it out of the air like he was a snake brilliant um just a an incredible coordinator uh the way he communicated on the field brian doherty we went with doc in the box because of him because he was so good at uh sh you could hear his commands and his cues and uh when defenders were in good shape when they were bad when they needed help he, he was brilliant Garrity, uh you know, <laughs> our, our our time in, in major league of course look the players i'm sure have, have epic stories we mm. have Incredible mm -hmm. stories, you know, the, those pioneers, you know, traveling the country, playing pro lacrosse at some of these venues. I, I can't tell you, Joe, how, how enjoyable that was, but we, we do have to collaborate on a book because we, we have, we have classic, funny stories. I mean, as long as they're written down somewhere, we have to make sure we write them down because those memories are being pushed further and further away. I'll, I'll never forget the time at Jersey where we had to climb this ladder and put ourselves oh God. in peril of dying to get up yes. to the booth. Uh, if you fell off that ladder, you were falling four stories down to concrete and you being oh. so upset that you slammed your fist on, on, yeah. on the, uh, on the table. And it just so happened that that day was uh, like Frappuccino giveaways at the, at the, uh, at the Starbucks little hut that they had in the end zone. So I had brought up these mini cups of like four Starbucks that were sitting on my next to my boards. Yeah, you that did. I was, I was that I was going to down during this game over the course of this game. Wrap it up, <laughs> and, and you put your fist down on the table, and those cap frappuccinos flew up in the air and slowly yeah. splashed all oh. of our notes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I learned. I again, I, thankfully, in the last oh five to ten years, there haven't been very many of those. Um, slam the desk moments catastrophic good, meltdowns i i've i've mellowed in that sense um it does happen from time to time but i have learned more that it's not a fist smack but more a foot stomp ah. I, I won't be spilling your frappuccino if i kick the floor as opposed to punch the table i learned that day but we did those games there was no safety lanyard there was no harness no. There were a couple of places in my broadcast career that come to mind of really dicey locations from to work from, but that may have been the, that may have been the scariest. 
Kizar Stadium in, in San Francisco. Foggy. Uh, foggy. The, we, we froze our tails off in Los Angeles, believe it or not, on yeah. the night game when the, when yeah. the sun went down, the wind started. Your started shoes cooking. melted in Lyle. Your shoes melted on the field in oh. Lyle. 122 degrees on the turf. We had we had uh, animal visitors up in New England in that booth huh? up 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 at. Uh, oh, you uh, talking about the, the insects? Lull, lull, the, lull, the insects? Yeah, the oh gosh, that was like doing a game surrounded by flypaper. <laughs> that was that was oh, that was gross. Uh, let's spin things forward to BTN. I thought uh, Big Ten Network did a, a terrific job last year during the pandemic. Uh, really, really bringing the, the the whole season to to television. There was a good game every week on and and. Uh, and it seemed like the league wasn't maybe defensively in my eyes where, where it could have been uh, uh, Maryland, obviously making it to the national title game. And now this year, big 10 is loaded stacked. All these teams are improved. It looks like it's going to be a wide open year. Uh, what, what's your role going to be in terms of games? Are we going to see much of you on, on, on the big 10 lacrosse games? The next two weekends, you will obviously Maryland and Virginia is front of mind right now, even with all the hockey that I have, uh, I've made sure that um, to carve out space to do the homework there for a, a game that's deserving of national attention, obviously with the top two teams in the country right now, and both of whom I've seen in person and I'm blown away by. I called, um, I called Maryland's decisive win over Loyola earlier this season. They took apart the Greyhounds in Loyola's season opener. I watched Virginia in person at Towson without three of their top players roll over the Tigers. It was as impressive an offensive performance as I've seen from a team that was quote undermanned. And then they, you know, you're adding to, uh, to Lars Tiffany's arsenal. It was, it's going to be a phenomenal game um, this coming weekend. Then I get, um, I get uh, Maryland and Penn state. I'll fit a drive into happy Valley. That'll be um, predominantly what BTN likes to do when they can. Big Ten Network likes to do is create a Sunday night kind of package. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a spectacular idea. It's a standalone so that, game. People yep. are home. Youth leagues are done, and everybody's everybody's got the opportunity to watch. It's a great idea. So I'll kick that one off on the twenty seventh of March. Uh, Maryland yeah. goes down there to Penn State. I have I have Rutgers a couple of times on my schedule uh, in April. And then again, the hockey overlap is so difficult. Um, I know that Big Ten Network wants uh, to have me and Mark Dixon on the May 5th and May 7th Big Ten tournament. Uh, it's on my schedule. I cross my fingers and hope that it's not a Washington Capitals first round playoff game. If so, I'll do whatever I can to get there. And the advantage this year, Q, is the Big Ten tournament is in College Park. So if it is built around the Caps and there's a home Caps game yeah. on that Wednesday, I can do the doubleheader Thursday. I'm just hoping there's not a straight-up conflict. If there isn't, uh, Dixie and I have had a blast doing the Big Ten tournaments uh, together. Last year, in the same kind of circumstance, I did the semifinals. I couldn't call the title game, which was upsetting, but that's something that happens, <coughs> excuse me, this time of year. It's making a, uh, a run in that tournament. I've never been to Audi Field. Uh, three o'clock. It's Maryland, Virginia. One. So what's Audi? What's it? What's Audi Field like? Audi Field's a beautiful facility. Um, think the uh, the stadium that we did the games in Columbus, Ohio, when uh, when MLS soccer was first going into Columbus, and we might have done a showcase game there, or we may have done a championship game there. I think it may have been a title game. 
So very similar in size in that 20 to 25,000, a beautiful midfield booth. Uh, the, that's where DC United plays. Yeah. And if I understand correctly, this is all part of um, a, a, a capital classic that they're having this weekend. There are three games there that day. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize that if you stuck around, you could see uh, you could see Duke and Towson in the nightcap. I didn't realize that there was a Division Three game before the Virginia-Maryland game. Uh, obviously, I'll be getting my homework put together, and I'll be just coming back in from Raleigh, so I won't be there uh, for the for the morning game, but I, I sure as hell will be there for the 3 p.m. game, and, and we'll think about uh, – I'll be tempted to stick around to watch Duke and Towson too, but Audi is a, is a really, really nice facility, and if uh, lacrosse fans in the area, DMV or otherwise, uh, want to come down, it'll be well worth the trip. It sounds like it'll be a great day of lacrosse. Yeah, it, it's number one versus number two, Maryland and Virginia. Right now, you know, you, you could you could vote them either way. Virginia has won uh, two consecutive national championships. I, I see both these teams right now, Joe, as being a step ahead of the rest of the country. I think there's these two and then that pack of six to ten teams who could maybe make championship weekend who are chasing them. So so this will be interesting. You know, they, they got a history. They played for the national title last yeah. year. I've watched all of the games except the Maryland Albany game, which was played indoors last uh, last Saturday morning. I've called a number of these Virginia games. It seems like both teams not only are talented, but have a certain identity and style of play. It seems like both go on uh, on five goal runs, like somewhere along the line, they deliver this punch and teams can stay with them for a while. But then, boom, you know, it's it's a combo to the head and, and they get the knockout punch with a five or six goal run. What uh, what what have you uh, what have you found so far in, in your research? I was watching the game that you and Anish and Clark called a national championship game. And, and that game featured a lot of runs. Right. So at the tail end, at one point, I want to say it was 16, 12 for Virginia. And then Maryland makes that big push late. It turns out to be an incredibly thrilling 17-16 decision for the Cavaliers. I, as you've been, as we've been discussing, and and you're helping me get ready for this one. I, I I look at Virginia, top to bottom, and and everywhere you look in the biographical sketch, it's so and so number one attack inside lacrosse recruit country, goalie, midfielder, long stick D, faceoff. It's just everywhere. Uh, and Lars has done a beautiful job amassing that talent and obviously pushing it to the max. The game that I mentioned, I, I watched Virginia play at Towson uh, without Matt Moore and without Jeff Connor. And I watched them produce offensively with a freshman who looks like he's a senior All-American, Shuts. Yeah. Griffin shots, 26. A, yeah. I mean, a physical specimen. And I, Yeah, by the way, he's a freshman. Excuse me? A freshman. Okay, great. Wonderful. Uh, I thought noons in the goal looked sharp. And you guys have been telling me, teaching me over the course of uh, time now that, you know, great lacrosse players are coming from unusual lacrosse places, different hotbeds. And here's noons as, as one of the, the top or it, one of the top goalies coming in, coming out of Texas. And we know what that state produces as far as athletes in other sports is concerned. And more and more of those guys now are dotting the lineups at top division one squads in, in lacrosse. I, I'm wondering, you know, I know that you and Clark always focus on matchups who covers whom uh, with respect to close defenders against the attack. I, I don't know if Sostad is going to be hundred percent or if he's going to be able to play 
this weekend. We're going to learn that we're, as we move along this week, when we talk to coaches and we start to sniff around a little bit more, but I, I know he has been ailing. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed at the way John Tillman has integrated the transfers into his offensive personnel. Uh, Bobby Benson's got a lot of toys to play with, and you know what kind of creative mind he has offensively. These two teams are juggernaut squads. I would not want to play goal. I would not want to be the defensive coordinator facing Maryland or Virginia. No, it's both, both. Yeah, both joke how much offensive punch they have. Yeah, uh, Maryland's passing is is exceptional. Uh, the, their ability to dodge, spin the ball through X, get ball reversal, or start from a wing, and and you know they don't score one pass goals. They score three pass goals, and a lot of them are great mid range shots. Uh, you know, again featuring that ball reversal. I think Virginia is going to be slow to slide to them. I think Virginia is going to try to make this a man a one on one game, saying Maryland, you got to beat you got to beat our athletes one on one. And you got to get get to the rack and, and score unassisted goals. Going back to Virginia, you know, Sawstad, Dallas, Texas, Cole Kastner, Palo Alto, California, Quentin Matsui, starting defender, Minnesota. Ben Weyer, their long pole's been out with an injury. He's from Alexandria, Virginia. We've seen Scotty Bauer from Dallas and Mitchell Whalen, who's from Buford, Georgia. Okay. What stands out, Joe, if you get the opportunity, go downfield level pregame, or if you get, I'm not sure what your schedule, it sounds like you're not going to get to see Virginia practice, practice. but it really is Jurassic Park. I mean, you go on the lacrosse field, it will remind you, it looks and feels like a pro roster, a certain length and range on defense, you know, that that 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", type frame that we watched for many years at the pro level, and then speed speed everywhere this is a fast roster i mean evan zinn is perhaps zero in virginia the midfielder yeah. he's like he's a human clear but guys like danny parker can fly xander dixon's got those twinkle toes schellenberger uh runs as fast as he has to to, to, to beat his man and and uh so so i think you'll enjoy that that aspect of, of watching virginia play i recognize the length for sure on defense and the way they cover passing lanes you know kastner i think is listed at six six seven so with regard to beating your man in one-on-one matchups, you know, how will Wisnowskis and Molliver and Keegan Khan deal with those guys from a Maryland attack standpoint? I, I just think Maryland's movement, creativity, two-man games, pick, slide, shuffles, everybody, these two teams know each other extremely well. Um, it's a matter of execution. It's a matter yeah. of precision. It comes down to who's going to have that better day because talent on talent, it's 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 hard to pick between these two. Yeah, I just style. yeah, I was going to say faceoffs. So we got to talk about certain scenarios. The, the goalies, Matt Noons against Logan McNaney, say that's a push. Maybe Petey LaSala of Virginia has the edge, but I think Maryland has more options facing off. And one thing that Maryland's done well, Joe, if, when you watch them on tape, is the transitional moments in a game restarts. Whether it's a a, a, you know, a, a foul and just a change of possession, whether it's a turnover, man, their runouts off of restarts are great. Roman Puglisi's had a, had a number of goals. Gephardt scored a goal last yeah. week, 20. They're a terrific, very underrated transition team. Their ability to, to take that gray area, they catch teams and make them bad subs. Uh, they're, they're, they're slow breaks, they're five on fours and their six on fives are, are perfection. And that, it's such a veteran team. They understand that there's an opportunity off a restart, that the other team is vulnerable. So yeah. I, I think watching restarts and then Virginia's ride. There's a Virginia 10 man 
you know, do they force the, the pressure with a 10 man and, and how does Maryland react? I watched McNaney score a shorthanded goal against a 10 man ride against That's Ohio right. state. So he's not afraid to shoot it from, from deep himself. Um, I think with regard to what you and Clark refer to as early offense, Rutgers gets the biggest acclaim yeah. for early offense. Um, but I think Maryland's underrated in that sense. Uh, they, they play the same kind of uh, gamesmanship that Rutgers does when they are in a clearing situation. They'll, they'll play hangman with you a little while. And again, Virginia is so well-schooled, so incredibly well-coached. None of this is going to be surprising to them. Uh, I just, I think Maryland gets a little bit underrated in that sense for uh, how they perform in transition. I watched Virginia ride the bejesus out of uh, Towson. Those guys never stop. They never quit. They seem to find a way to trap you on the sideline, use that sideline as a defender and, and cause chaos and cause havoc. And then, turn it over to them. You're, you're playing with fire uh, with them in a, in a, an unsettled type situation. Uh, I can't wait to see the two teams go at each other in, in March. And it's often that they're going to see each other, obviously again, come may come tournament time. Uh, the, the championship game I've been watching on loop and I, I'm blown away by the skill level. And it seems like they're even better this year. He's Joe better money. Sometimes yeah. we call him. Sometimes we call him Dottie. That one morning in an Annapolis restaurant, oh, Mr. Ben Money, uh, your table. Yeah, sure it is. That's called respect, Q. That's that's <laughs> Quinn Mesmich on the other end of this. Quinn Mesmich, it's all it's respect. The, the Quinn Mesmich quintessential podcast. You like yeah. the name? I, I can tell you like the name. Oh, of course. It's. I figured that was the name of the book. <laughs> Episode three, Joe Beninati. We appreciate you spending time here uh, with such a, a incredibly busy schedule. The fans will be tuning in this weekend, though. You got a great game. I enjoy it. I think it's a prelude to, to bigger things uh, down, the, down the road. My pleasure, Q. Thanks for bringing me on. Travel safe, Joe. Love you, man. Thanks, bud.